My name is Ben Almond. I work for a Fortune 250 company with over 50,000 employees. Using the perspective of this background, combined with my own life experiences and a passion for great leadership, I share observations and ideas for you to use on your development journey. This is The View, from where I sit. Hey everybody, Ben here. For those of us who work for Jacobs, today's guest needs no introduction. Bob Pergata is Jacobs President and Chief Operating Officer. In an earlier podcast, I shared the story of the day that we were told Jacobs was acquiring CH2M Hill. It was on this very day that I met Bob for the first time. He was leading the team on the Jacobs side to successfully complete the acquisition and smoothly integrate the two very large groups. Starting that day and continuing over the past three years, I've had the pleasure of seeing Bob in action. He's an engaging and charismatic leader who puts a lot of energy into looking after our people around the world. Today, you get a chance to hear Bob talk about his own career and personal growth, starting with childhood, through his time in the Navy, and various phases of his development with Jacobs and beyond. Along the way, he shares his insights on eliminating racism and generating equality, and we also talk about the change in the corporate world from large organizations being silent bystanders to taking a visible stance on what used to be untouchable social issues. I really appreciate Bob taking the time to talk with us today, so I won't delay you any further from hearing what he has to share. All right, so really excited today to welcome Bob to the podcast, and maybe Bob, if you don't mind taking a bit of time and sharing with us your story and your journey as a leader. Yeah, Ben, thanks for the opportunity, and it's always great to be able to tell your own story, but uh, to do it with you, it's always special, not just our professional, but our personal relationship as well. My kind of leadership story probably starts well before I even entered college in the formative years that one traditionally thinks are formative. And mine kind of went all the way back to growing up and the leadership experiences around that. I was a son of immigrant parents that my father came over to the States from India in the early 60s. And it was interesting. He was a part of the then President Kennedy committing to put a person on the moon by the end of the decade. What the president and his administration did as a part of growing NASA was went out to the world and and kind of invited the world for the best and brightest scientists and engineers to come to the U.S., mostly people that were just finishing up their undergraduates or their graduate degrees. And so my dad competed for that, got it, came over. The U.S. government sent him back to get his master's degree. And then he went directly to Florida, what's now Kennedy Space Center. About three, four years into that, now we're kind of in the circle late, late sixties. He went back to India, married my mother, brought her over. And, uh, nine months later, I was in Florida. This will come to pass here in a second. What's interesting is, is my dad worked for a contractor at Kennedy Space Center in Titusville, Florida, who was in a joint venture partnership with a company called Sverdrup. And that joint venture ended up being what's now Jacobs, which I didn't find that out until just a couple of years ago. So interesting how history kind of repeats itself coming all the way back around. I was born in Florida, but then shortly thereafter, my unfortunately, my father passed away. And so my mother, single woman who got married very, very early, 20 years old, found herself in the South in the early 70s in some really difficult times in the country. The reason why I bring that up, but knew that it was going to be even though we would be challenged, we would 
she told her father that we were going to stay here and she was going to try to raise me here rather than taking me back to uh, to India, which my grandfather wanted us to come back and be raised there. And really the early learnings of leadership started by watching my mother not just struggle, but manage her way through social injustices that were going on at that time, not having a college degree and taking a technician's job in a hospital and us moving to, at the time, Atlanta and surviving. You know, those are some of the learnings way back when that uh, that I reflect on even today when you think about some of the difficulties that we're, we're struggling with even 50, almost 50 years later and that she taught me that standing up for what you believe in as well as doing your very best in everyday life is all you can do. She befriended someone in the hospital at that time whose, uh, whose son was a West Point graduate and was, uh, was in Vietnam. And my mom talked to her about different opportunities that, that young men and women would have if they didn't have enough money to go to school. Uh, my mom was already thinking way out in the head in the future. I was only five or six years old. And um, one day she comes home from work and says, so Bobby, this is what you're going to do. You were going to play sports, get good grades, and go to this institutions that they have here in the United States called service academies. So, of course, being the obedient young child that I was, I said, okay, mom, uh, what what is that? And she told me all about it. That seed was planted uh, very early in life. And so the whole concept of of now, thinks next wave of, of leadership training, and all credit to my mother, discipline, having a plan, and and working that plan, knowing that there are going to be detours and you're probably going to fail along the way, was something that my mother taught me at a uh, at a very very early age. You know, kind of flash forward, we ended up ended up in Chicago, probably late 70s, early 80s. My mother had remarried. And I was now in application mode, kind of mid, uh, mid, mid eighties into both West Point and Annapolis. So I, I stayed true to what, not only at that point, it wasn't even my mom's idea at that point. It was probably more mine because I just got, you know, it, very enthralled with it and applied to, uh, to both West Point and Annapolis. My mother then comes home one day. It's interesting. The learnings from my mom coming home and telling me things that later in life ended up, I, I still talk about now you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, she had seen the movie Officer and a Gentleman, noticed that the uniforms for the Navy were uh, a lot nicer than what she saw in the Army. Keep in mind, my mom's knowledge of what actually the schools were all about was less than, you know, there was something special to just do this. And, uh, and said, hey, West Point's great, but I really want you to focus in on Annapolis because I like their uniforms better. So now I'm, I'm a teenager, so I, I probably should, I, I know a little bit more than I did when she came home the first time on that event, not that she was only coming home once every 10 years. Figured that the, that the engineering programs and the technical programs at the Naval Academy were, were probably a bit stronger at the time than West Point. And so I uh, ended up choosing Annapolis, got in, and, uh, and really had an unbelievable experience there. It's always nice to say that you come from that school. Uh, while you're there, you're, somewhere bordering on miserable to, uh, you know, can't stand life. But it was uh, now looking back on it was a fantastic experience. Next leadership learning period. Everything was about the team. You were no better than the team and you were only as strong as the weakest link on that team. If I were to synthesize kind of all of the leadership experiences that I learned there, it was that. And that that in order to be successful in anything, 
whether it be a mission, whether it be an effort, an initiative, anything, is is leaning on your we, we call them shipmates, but teammates that again you would you would potentially fail, but the rewards were tremendous, and those failings ended up becoming massive, massive learnings. Sports taught a lot of that too while I was uh, in the Naval Academy. So, you know, then going off in the Navy and then going off in the private sector, I'd say Ben, those kind of three segments. Early, early childhood, you know, that kind of those formative years at the Naval Academy and then those learnings playing forward into the Navy and into the private sector are things that I reflect upon and have honed over the course of now what's the better part of, uh, of a 30 year professional career. Yeah, Bob, there's so many parallels and lead ins to the things that you do today, even if you go all the way back and think about, you know, your your dad joining NASA and the U.S. gathering the best and the brightest from around the world. And you and I talk often about, you know, we're really in a people business. And one of the best things we can do for our clients and and for the business itself is to attract the best and the brightest and help grow those opportunities. You, You could kind of connect those dots right from the beginning. And really exciting to hear about, I mean, your mom certainly took on a huge challenge and was really brave you know, knowing that her family wasn't around the corner as you guys took on the challenge of, you know, building a life in the U.S. on your own after you had lost your dad. And I'm I'm really sorry to to hear that part of the story as well, though it definitely feels like he's continued to influence you as you've grown through your leadership phases here. But do you think you have learned some intelligent ways to deal with uncertainty from that experience, particularly with with your mom and then your own development sort of happening at the same time. You know, right now, everyone around the world is publishing articles and talking about how do you lead through uncertainty. And I feel like you were immersed in this topic a lot longer ahead of the curve on COVID than anyone else was. If you think about that story, Bob, any thoughts there on some of the things you saw your mom do or you learned along the way that are our best practices in terms of leading through uncertainty? Absolutely, Ben. And, and, and I use those examples just as influencing as they were. But if I were to synthesize those, and then again, even, even after going to, to university and then operating in the, in, the, in the world, it would probably be this, is that, you know, especially when you consider the level of stress that sits in today's world. So let's just kind of play those learnings forward and, and bring it home to right now. What are some of those feelings that that are generated? And again, personal, professional, looking at what's happening in the world, a couple of feelings start to generate, and these are the negative ones. These are the ones that hurt. There's a feeling of of hopelessness. There's a feeling of, I don't know how this is going to end. There's a feeling of looking back at the good times that we either had personally or professionally. And there's this, the hopelessness tends to take over the reflection of those zones of comfort that you go to in your mind. So when I step back and I think about, okay, what got me through those tough times before, it was others. I'll be very open about that. It was leaning on back in the early days, and I still do even today, my mother, my family, you know, my mom had two brothers that came to the, the U.S. into Canada during that time. And they were like, they, not like, they were my fathers. 
I had great, tremendous friends that I made that being an only child, they turned into my brothers and my sisters. And, and my cousins turned out to be more than ge genealogical cousins. So I, I look at that support network gives you strength and helps you deal with the hopelessness that sometimes the human mind tends to go to and gives you confidence. But the other DNA strand that also keeps you grounded so that it's not unfounded confidence is humility, right? The, the humility to know whether you're a person trying to make it through life or if you're a leader that not only has to take care of yourself and your family, but has several thousands of people in your charge, is that confidence allows you to be confident in yourself. The humility allows you to know what you don't know and go out and lean on others for that foundation and that strength. That's what's now coming back today, every day. You know, Ben, I just joined the call just 30 minutes ago and, and I was dealing with a situation where that algorithm was going on in my head just 30 minutes ago. So hopefully that, hopefully that makes some sense. No, it, it absolutely does, Bob. I think one of the things people have to remind themselves of that no matter who they are, right, whether you're sitting in a CEO office or you're doing something else within an organization or you're running a household or you're going through high school or university or, or something else in your life, you know, those things that you're dealing with that generate change, all those feelings you listed, I think those are the same. And those ideas that you brought out around leaning on others, I feel like one of the most important things we all do for each other is to be there to have that conversation that's uncomfortable where you go, hey, listen, I'm just having a bad day today. Yeah. And this thing feels like it's changing and I'm not sure that it feels good. And, you know, even just sharing those feelings with one other person lessens the load a little bit more and, and maybe a different perspective gives us some advice on how to move forward. But regardless of what the future looks like, knowing that you've got some stability in family and friends and, and what I would call your team seems to make everything feel a little bit easier. And maybe it's a little less hopeless because, you know, you know, Bob's still going to be there tomorrow. Right. The job title changes, maybe where you live changes, maybe the type of thing you're doing changes or the way you do it changes because the world has changed, but that you have some stability in that foundation. So I, I really like that. So, Bob, clearly, you know, this isn't the first time you've encountered some level of uncertainty in your leadership career. You, you left a there's a, a pretty big void there between finishing at the Naval Academy and becoming the COO of a Fortune 250 company. You want to fill us in on a bit of the blanks and some of the interesting experiences you've had in your professional career? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. In all fairness, the reason why I stopped there was uh, that, that next 30 years, and, and now I'm just going to disclose everything. You're right. That could be a whole another segment. But let me, let me kind of bring up some highlights during that period. I'd segregated into three main phases, let's call them, of, uh, of my professional career. The first one in the Navy. The second, kind of that first job out of the Navy and in the private sector. And then this, uh, not, I was going to say last, Ben, this current segment, let's call it current, not last, of, uh, of Jacobs, right? And, and really, if you, if you were to timeline it, call it kind of 10 in that first one, five in the middle one, and 15 in this, uh, in this current one. 
The first 10 years in the service was, again, and, and by the way, every single one had elements of learning that were unbelievable. And I've been extremely fortunate in my in my life and in my career to have these kinds of experiences. But in that first segment, the Navy was was really being in the service was really unique in that I wasn't I was in the what we call the, the Corps of Engineers. So we were the infrastructure arm of engineers and constructors and O&M specialists that not only handled the base infrastructure for the Navy and the Marine Corps, but also ended up being kind of the engineering arm for the State Department for humanitarian and disaster relief uh, efforts that the U.S. government would have abroad, as well as we were the, in certain cases, the infrastructure, the engineering arm for NATO and other foreign military bases as, as well as times of need too. So it was a really neat group that, that we were in. And so I was, I was the one that when I got out of school, I figured, hey, not married, had a girlfriend at the time. She ended up becoming my wife. God knows why she stuck around while I was going around the world, but she did. And so if there was a time to volunteer for anything and everything in order to learn, as well as have those experiences, I was the one doing it. And so my first five years out of the service, I think I spent a sum total of maybe 180 days in the U.S. and everything else was outside the U.S. on uh, on different types of efforts. And so just the opportunity to interface with in different different countries and different cultures, lead people that were out to accomplish a mission. The mission in some cases might be building schools on the northern coast of Africa, doing base operations and maintenance, responding to an 8.2 earthquake in the Marianas Islands, a whole variety of different types of very unique type of infrastructure challenges at the time. And each one kind of built on the other. But in each one, go back to our, our original conversation, Ben, each one was around understanding that every situation is different. The leadership approach was not one size fits all, but you need to have a high level of situational awareness and know that what influences one person might need to be a bit different as you deal with another person. And that was that was learned at a very early age. We're talking 22, 23, all the way up to, you know, 26, 27 years old. And it was a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. Midway between there, the Navy ended up sending me back to graduate school. And so I ended up having the great opportunity to go to Stanford and pick up a graduate degree. Quick side note on that. The first day that we reported to school, reported to school, notice I even used that word, you know, came in, collared shirt, khaki pants, had my backpack. And I thought that's this is the way people go to school. That's the way I went to school when I went to, to undergrad. And I think me and another person that was, was, he was in the Navy as well. I think we were the only two that had A, pants on, everyone else was wearing shorts, and, and B, a, uh, you know, a collared shirt that actually had sleeves on it too. And so it was a great experience to see, oh, this is how people really go to school. And it was a time at Stanford where it was kind of the early days of the internet and, and different platforms were being formed. And so it was a great, great opportunity. Ended up going back into the Navy after going around the world, going to grad school, and uh, and had the real unique opportunity to serving in the White House. The White House has what's called the White House Military Office, and there's different platforms in the White House Military Office, you know, the aviation piece with Air Force One and Marine One, some of the security details. 
as well as a special programs office that handled the design, construction, operations, and maintenance for the White House facilities, the White House, Camp David, different other covert facilities that in the back then we didn't think so. But if a if a 9-11 kind of event happened, the president, the first family and, and the, the, the cabinet would be taken off to these areas, too. So we worked on all those. I mean, my tenure in the Navy was fantastic. Again, leadership experience was back to situational and working in environments that you didn't have a lot of pre-exposure to. So that whole creative thought leadership really was formed at that time. Got out of the service thinking that, hey, this was great 10 years, but if I'm going to stay, I'd probably end up going 20. You know, I could be the best lieutenant that I possibly could be in the Navy, but I'm going to be a lieutenant for so many years and then next for so many years and then another rank for so many years. And so I wanted to see if I could kind of get some uh, diversity in my experiences and went to the private sector. And again, another great experience. Ended up going to a company that was was in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, and was was heavily focused in on the tech manufacturing world, specifically around biotech and, and semiconductor manufacturing and electronics, as well as some other high-tech facilities. And they did design, construction, and manufactured products. Hopefully this is sounding a little familiar because one of our big clients at the time was Jacobs. And the company was great. It was a probably about a billion, billion two in revenue, very nimble in, uh, in how we were moving around the country and moving around the world with our clients. Jacobs was growing at the time. This is probably circa mid-2000s and was entering into Europe, entering into Asia. We were following Jacobs as a supplier into these geographies as well. And so after about five years, so 2004, 2005, I got offered to come to Jacobs to be a part of the management team there and didn't think that I was going to be moving a lot of companies when I got out of the Navy, but saw Jacobs and saw some of the great things that were happening, even though it was a larger company at the time, had this very family feel. And plus, at that time, it was kind of the the uh, the diamond of Wall Street in a publicly traded world. And so I uh, so joined Jacobs and ended up at Jacobs doing a variety of things. Started off running what we used to call field services, but think the construction and maintenance side of everything non-oil and gas around the U.S., and then went into running an operating region, and then uh, and then ended up being promoted to uh, to heading global sales when we had a consolidated sales group. And so again, you know, during that time, probably skipped over a, a big part of it, which was the 2008 global financial recession. And you know, here was a company that was doing extremely well wasn't exposed as probably some of our competitors were at the time. We had to reinvent some of the ways that we were doing things, and we were able to do that in parts of the business. Other parts, we kind of held serve. And then we came out of the recession, something happened. We, we got back to doing things the way we did before the recession in certain parts of our business. Other parts of the business kind of learned from the dislocation and took advantage of, of maybe innovating the delivery model. But we weren't growing as a company. And, and at the time, I had what was then the equivalent to what would today we would call the EOT. You know, the 2013 timeframe, 14 timeframe, I got a little frustrated because things weren't changing. And we really were at a, at a cusp of needing to change how we were structured and how we looked at the markets that we were serving. But we're just not stuck in our old ways, but we're kind of thinking that if we just keep to our knitting, Things would, would return to the way they were before the recession. 
and they weren't going there. So in a world where I thought Jacobs was never going to change, I ended up doing what I, you know, now look back, maybe part of his regret, part of it was I wish I would have been a little bit more patient. And um, I ended up leaving in the summer of 2014 and had another great opportunity, even though it was a bit short lived, but had another great opportunity where ended up going to a private equity firm, had the opportunity to go and, and do a nice size turnaround for an industrial services company. I was the operating partner of the of the private equity firm, and they sent me back to one of their holdings. So great opportunity to go into a company, insert a culture, do a turnaround in, a, in an environment in the market that I knew and was on to some, some great things there. When in a world where I thought nothing was going to change at Jacobs three months after I left, everything changed at Jacobs. The then executive team was, was kind of not moved aside, but uh, definitely leaned out. And the former chairman was brought back into the interim CEO role with him being in the seat for probably three months. And I had been gone for about six months. He gave me a call and told me that it was still pretty upset that I'd, I'd left, but said that he had found a, uh, a CEO that he wanted me to meet. CEO was still going to be a couple of months out. And so sure enough, the CEO that he had hired, his name is Steve Demetrio. I'd been gone for exactly a year, ended up engaging with Steve for a couple of months. And uh, exactly 15 months after leaving, came back to Jacobs. And then the, the last four and a half plus years has been about as professionally and personally gratifying as, as any segment of my career even before that. So I could go, I could keep going, Ben, but it's just every single experience built on the, on the previous one and kind of coming to real time today. Uh, though we're going through some challenging times now, look at what we've achieved just in four and a half, five months. And I'm really excited about what the future holds for us. It's crazy, Bob. I started as you were telling the story, writing down sort of key inflection points where you dealt with change or adversity. And, and it's become a bit of a trend. I, I ran out of paper, so I stopped. Got it. Um, got it. <laughs> but, but I love the idea that you know, I mean, when you were in the Navy, you really learned how to lead when not everything was within your control, which as a transferable skill into your world today, right? I mean, you know, you nobody called and said, hey, Bob, what do you think about a global pandemic or a global recession? You know, how, you think today's the day? Let's do it. And yet you've had to lead through those things and be willing to stand in front and make those quick decisions as you learned pretty early in your in your leadership journey there that you know you needed to be able to rely on the team you needed to make decisions with little information at times and not only help yourself be comfortable through all that change but help the team be comfortable through it and find a way to thrive so it was really interesting to hear you know, as your development went on, also where your head was at, at all of those times, because I think anybody out there who's listening has probably gone through some of those similar experiences in their head. And, you know, to be honest, I reflect on my own life and, and journey. And so one of the things that's really important to me is the fact that, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't control that happen around you, but you do control how you react to those things and what you take away and learn and grow from those, because all these experiences only shape us for tomorrow, right? That's a really key point, Ben. These experiences shaping us for tomorrow is, first of all, I applaud your maturity on looking at it that way, but it's it, it couldn't be more applicable to today. Because again, the way we started out, when you think about what's going on today, 
remember I was talking about those those emotional parts of the emotional roller coaster cycles of feelings that you have. That sense of hopelessness at times really serves sometimes as almost a, an encumbrance, a handicap to even think about, well, how in the heck can I think about what FY20, forget about FY22, what next quarter is going to look like, what next week is going to look like when things are changing so quickly, right? And so thinking, wow, this is really going to make me better for the future is on the on the whole list of things is probably the last thing that you're thinking about. You're thinking about how can I get through today and next week and the week after and the week after. And as leaders, we have to have lobes of our brain inserted in both. Take care of what's happening right now, as well as keep an eye over the horizon on what you're doing right now and how that's going to have either a positive or potentially a less than positive impact on the future. And and there's no science. There's no book around that. That's the art. And going back to another thing that we talked about, that's something that if any leader feels that he or she has that ability to do that and internalize all that themselves, then probably is a bit short-sighted. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know, life and business, it's its a team sport, right? And the people you surround yourself with and choose to spend your time with are those that, that sort of help you become a positive influence. As you say, choosing the uh, impact you're going to have, you can be a positive influence, which is impacted by those people you surround yourself with. And you can also go down the other path and that, that could be, you know, you get wound around the axle on some of those feelings that we all feel, right? There's moments where we all feel a little bit of fear of the unknown, where we all, you know, need to take a step back and go, man, everything just feels like there's no way out of this, right? I'm stuck in quarantine and and I've run out of Netflix, right? So, you know, finding your way to get a little bit of stability through the people that you're engaging with and the things that you're putting your energy into and maybe looking in the mirror and going, hey, now's a great time for me to, I don't know, learn a new language or take a, an online training course because I can actually invest some of that time when I used to be stuck on airplanes to do something different. Those are the types of steps that as people get over that initial emotional reaction, you see a bit of separation in those that are, that are really, like you said, looking to the future and how they turn this into something positive in the long run. Right. That's abs- I've actually even termed it. It's the Superman or Superwoman complex that we all sometimes have in that, well, you know what? This will, this too will pass. So let me just kind of power my way through this and, and we'll, and we'll get through it. Okay. That, that might be one, but at the same time, none of us are supermen or superwomen and, and we have, uh, we have weaknesses ourselves. And so you got to come up with those therapies in order to deal with that. And you're right. It could be learning a new language, maybe doing a bit of exercise, taking up a new hobby, all kinds of different things, talking to friends that maybe you haven't connected with in a long time. A whole slew of stuff, but you got to you have to be very sensitive to those therapies. Yeah, and they're very individual, right? The things that work for me, whether it's you know being outside and doing the things that I do, won't work for everybody. So it's, there's a self awareness piece that comes from growing through these type of experiences and finding a way to, for it to be positive for you and the people around you too, right? No, that's totally right. Absolutely. So I guess Bob, going back to partly to the beginning of your story and connecting that piece to today. You know, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over the past number of years and 
knowing some of the things that are really important to you. I thought it would be worthwhile to touch a little bit on some of the social issues that are going on in the world today. And, you know, given your experience with, you know, the world your mom stepped into and your dad stepped into when they came to the U.S. And then, you know, the world we're looking at today and, and um, you know, really a, a higher level of awareness around, you know, the, the challenges with racism and inequality out there today. You know, I thought it would be really interesting to get a bit of your insights into, you know, the, these challenges from a personal standpoint, because I'm sure you've had some experiences that certainly I haven't. But then also to talk about it a bit from from a corporate standpoint, we're seeing more and more organizations, Jacobs being one of them, that are being outspoken and vocal around social issues, which historically, you know, maybe it was that Superman complex or maybe it was fear of engaging. But historically, we've not seen organizations like ours stand out in front with these type of challenges. And, and, and it's, a, it's a really great development, but I'd love to get your views on all of that. Let me start off with maybe a headline comment that, that is not intended to be controversial. It's just, it's science. I think sometimes we lose fact that if you look at humans, how much alike we all are from a, a sheer biology perspective, 99.6, and I probably got that number wrong, but it's something greater than 99% of the human body is the same. And so when we think about, you know, things like ethnic background and nationality and all of these different other demographics that we have, those are real. Those are a function of where we're from. Race is actually a, a social construct. You're born into a race because genealogically your your ancestors came from a certain part of the world. So we we actually, when I say social construct, that we humans, people, have established race. And then when you think about that as even beyond 400 years in the U.S., if you go back centuries, and then you look at the way the world has been, there was a standard that was set. And then anything off of that standard somehow over that period of time was viewed as different. And that's just reality. That's not Bob Pregada or any of the books that you read or anything else. That's the world that, that we lived in and live in. Now let's bring it back personally. When I was raised and when I was growing up, you know, part of wanting to do well and wanting to to grow the undercurrent was be accepted right and it wasn't be accepted for who you are and what you look like and and your unique experiences or diversity of thought it was to assimilate to what everybody else how they looked and how they behaved and how they thought through that assimilation, you gained acceptance. And when you gained acceptance, you gained some form of mental relief that you can have opportunities and grow, right? At my age, that's kind of how things were in the 70s and 80s. But now when you flash forward and you look at, you know, what, where, where we are as a society, the differences that we all have, whether it be gender or background or 
religion or a whole slew of different elements of being different. We're in a world where if we're not celebrating them, we're missing a, a huge aspect of, go back to one of my earlier words, the opportunity to grow, grow spiritually, grow mentally, grow professionally. We're, we're missing it. Not only are, are we missing that gap right now, we're actually going back to all of those desires that we had for creating a more inc inclusive world, celebrating differences, and, and having the opportunity to be all that we can be. And, and I think if I look at today, and I think about it from a personal aspect, and I think about what could I have done differently, you know, one view, the standard view or the kind of the, the, the accepted view is, yes, Bob, you you pierced through those those barriers and you became the first Indian American graduate of, of the United States Naval Academy. And you were the first here and first there and first there. Great. I'm proud of that. Part of me over the last four to six weeks has been thinking, holy smokes. Was being the first allowing for others to come behind or was being the first allowing for others to, to use the formula of assimilating, that's how they were able to go. And that, that's a big dilemma. So what has that kind of led me, and this kind of the segue, Ben, to what we can do as a company? It's, wait, there are biases that we all have back to wanting to assimilate that we need to really address here because we, we might have gotten it wrong. Maybe not wrong, but but there were some there were some real opportunities that we had that we might have missed. And so not how do we fix it, but how do we learn from it and how do we how, how do we now keep growing? And I think some of those are exactly what you're seeing starts with Steve and moves all the way through the leadership team and the management team and all of us as 55,000 people strong is celebrate our differences. Know that the opportunities we create need to be opportunities for all because they're different, because everybody's different. Make opportunities for, for everybody, right? Because everybody is different. Even those that created the quote unquote standard, they're different. And so let's be deliberate in our actions because if not, we're going to form biases, whether they be called overt biases or subconscious biases or microaggressions or what have you. We need to understand all of those so that we can celebrate our differences. Bob, I think when we get to the to the end of this journey around becoming really inclusive, we get to the place where each of us have a very individual life experience. And as we said earlier, right, that life experience informs who we are and our background and our thought process. And as you come to that table as a group with a bunch of those diverse experiences around the table, I think you get a stronger output when everybody has a voice and the differences are the things that get amplified because it challenges the thinking rather than being in an echo chamber where if you and I have very similar life experiences and exposures, you know, it won't be challenging at all. In fact, we'll always just be agreeing and ending our conversations quickly because we have no diversity of thought or experience. And, you know, being in that position where we can influence you know, hopefully, you know, we all feel some level of accountability where we can influence and create that space 
where people don't feel like they need to assimilate or put on a face for work that isn't the one you know you wear at home or in in your day to day life. I mean, I think that's the challenge for each of us, and and how we do that is going to look different for each of us as well, right? Because we each play a different role in a different space, both in the near group that we affect and the larger group that we impact as leaders. But that thinking about getting to inclusion and diversity, you know, it's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely, it does. You know, you you also hear terms then that say, well, it's a journey and it's going to take time, and it is. Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to deny that, but we, we've been having these conversations for decades. Instead of really going and, and dissecting on, well, if we've been having them for decades, why are things changing? Then you can take another look. Well, they are changing. Okay, let's even let's agree with that. They are changing, but the world is changing at a very fast pace. So this journey. And the opportunities and the the change that's happening in the world, Ben, you've heard me say this dozens of times, it's the slowest that it'll ever be, right? But in some cases, when it comes to technology, that's absolutely the case. But in other cases, when we look at how do we effectively look at each other as people, I, I hope this is not the slowest. I mean, I, I hope that it's the slowest that it'll ever be. Because right now it seems like it's the fastest that it'll ever be. And that's not right. Yeah, let, let's hope that this is the fastest it's ever been. Yeah. But the slowest it ever will be. Be there. Well said. Well said. You know, I'm I'm hopeful for the future, but I think we all need to be willing to take some actions today to have to make tomorrow better than today was. Right. And and those things I think escalate exponentially the more of us actually open our eyes and get on board. I, I reflect back, Ben, on a uh, on a famous quote, right? and and I'll, I'll tell you what the quote is, and then I'll tell you who said it, is that hate cannot take out hate. Only love takes out hate, right? And uh, and, and that's, that's something that you, you think about that, because over all this period of time, there has been hate that has developed. And, and so, you know, when you think about some of the things that we see today, and you you naturally go to well, hate's not going to take out hate. You know we need to be an environment of love, and love is going to be the answer to uh, to take out hate. There's one thing that we have to acknowledge is that then if we're seeing people use hate for that, let's ask why and let's hear it. Because in a lot of cases, people might be using hate to take out hate because they haven't been heard in the past. And so that's a, it's a bit of a controversial statement because you know nobody wants to advocate for some of the atrocities that we've seen in every single direction everywhere. We've got to come back to, well, what's, what's the reason? And so let's address it and let's go back to love. It's easy to fall in a trap of generalizing as well. And, you know, I've heard someone say it and I'll, I'll echo it here. That in any population of any size, regardless of background, heritage, color of the skin, et cetera, there are people that have good ideas and people that have bad ideas. And, yeah. you know, that that's consistent. And we need to be looking for ways, to, I think, to echo the good ideas and embrace those, you know, wherever they they come from. And also be willing to call out some of the 
things that are are less exciting and less hopeful for the future, but also recognize that sometimes the kid that's screaming in the backyard is making that noise because nobody's paying attention. There you go. That's exactly right. It's time where, as a world, this is the time that we need to be coming together. It's probably a good way to end the way we started, is that if there's anything that I could advocate for everybody, and and I'm, I'm probably number one person that needs to listen to this, you're not by yourself, and always have someone to lean on and to reach out to. So I, I definitely offer for that to, to all that are listening. You're not alone out there. And make sure that you're looking after each other and yourselves at the same time. Absolutely. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. In the weeks to come, I intend to continue to bring you voices from varied backgrounds to share insights and thoughts on how we can keep growing together. If we can keep the conversation going and combine that with taking real actions in our day-to-day lives, we can create an environment that's better for everyone. Let's put ourselves into this wholeheartedly. I hope you took something away today that helps you frame up what you can do tomorrow to make a difference. This is the view from where I sit.